your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Happy Hump Day, everyone. Let's start today's show with a little On This Day in History. On this day in history, September 21st, 1776, Nathan Hale spied on British for American rebels. He was later arrested. September 21st, 1780, Benedict Arnold gives British Major John Andre plans to West Point. And that didn't go very well for him. September 21st, 1784, Pennsylvania Packet and Daily Advertiser becomes the first successful daily newspaper in the United States. I sure wish we had some good journalism like they probably did back then. 1823, Maroney, I think that's how you pronounce it, first appears to Joseph Smith according to Smith. (laughs) That's a reliable source. And in 1827, according to Joseph Smith Jr., the angel Maroney gave him a record of gold plates, one-third of which Joseph translated into the Book of Mormon. 1937, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit is published by George Allen and Unwin in London. 1938, British politician Winston Churchill condemns Germany's Adolf Hitler annexation of Czechoslovakia. 1944, Operation Market Garden, last British paratroopers at Arnhem Bridge surrender after several days of fighting. And if memory serves, that was a complete failure. Uh, That was Operation Market Garden, and uh, the U.S. military thought that that could end the war by Christmas. Well, it didn't pan out that way. 1970, Monday Night Football. Ah, My favorite topic, sports. Created by Rune Aldridge, premieres on ABC. Browns defeat the Jets 31-21. And that was On This Day in History for September 21st. Folks, we're on a mission to make magazines great again, so subscribe to our Fight, Laugh, Feast magazine. This is a quarterly mini-book-like experience packed full of a variety of authors that includes theologically driven cultural commentary, a psalm of the quarter, recipes for feasting, laughter sprinkled throughout the glossy pages, and more. Sign your church up, sign your grumpy uncle up, and while you're at it, sign up the Pope, Elon Musk, and Russell Moore. Disclaimer, the magazine will guarantee various responses, and cross-politics is not held liable for any of them. Reading the whole magazine may cause theological maturation, possibly encourage your kids to take the Lord's Supper with you, and will likely cause you to ramble, chuckle, and joy at God's wondrous world. Sign up today. Four issues and $60 per year. That's it. Go to fightlaughfeast.com right now to sign up. Go ahead. I'll wait. No, kidding. Uh, Let's get to the news. Study reveals masking kids in school made no significant difference in stopping COVID spread. Who would have thought? The use of face masks in classroom made no significant difference in COVID-19 infection rates, according to a new study. A cohort of researchers from several universities and hospitals in Spain came to the conclusion by analyzing COVID-19 transmission rates, age, and mandated use of face masks in classrooms across the region in Catalonia. The study, called Unraveling the Role of the Mandatory Use of Face Coverings, for control of SARS-CoV-2 in schools, a quasi-experimental study nested in the population-based cohort in Catalonia, Spain. (laughs) That was essentially the entire study, that title. Good grief. Compiled data from 1,907 schools with a total of 599,000 pupils roughly a little more, during the first term of the 2021 academic year. It was included in August's edition of the peer-reviewed journal Archives of Disease and Childhood, which is part of the British Medical Journal, BMJ Group. 
Though COVID-19 variants such as Omicron occurred outside of the timeline of the study, researchers maintain it is unlikely that the effectiveness of mask mandate measure will increase with a more transmissible variant. Quote, we analyzed routinely collected health data to compare the in the incidence of SARS-CoV-2, secondary attack rates, and the effective reproductive number among school children, comparing those without mandatory face-covering masks and those with FCM, or face-covering masks, during the first term of the school, 2021-2022, to assess the effect of FCM mandates on SARS-CoV-2 transmission within schools, explains the summary of the work. Researchers focused on comparing children in the last year of preschool and the first year of primary education, as the younger group had no face mask mandate, whereas the older group did. Quote, The main findings of the study showed no significant differences for children in the last grade of preschool 5, or P5, and first year of primary education on COVID-19 transmission indicators during the study period. Despite their difference in FCM mandate and the strong age dependency of transmission of SARS-CoV-2 in schools, explained the researchers. In conclusion, FCM mandates in schools showed no significant differences in terms of transmission. Conversely, we found that age is a key component explaining transmission in children, summarized the researchers. The Spanish case study follows additional studies demonstrating the failed efficacy of face masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19, even exacerbating the spread of the virus in certain demographics. Moving on, study. Americans own more than 415 million firearms. Americans now own more than 415 million firearms, according to Georgetown professor William English. This was a key finding of the National Firearms Survey that was conducted last year by Denver-based research firm Sentiment at the request of English, a professor at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. English is a political economist interested in ethics, education, and public policy. The service, the survey, which is part of a larger book project, is reportedly the largest ever undertaken regarding U.S. gun owners. The survey was administered to about 54,000 U.S. residents age 18 and older, focusing on 16,708 gun owners who were provided with in-depth questions about their ownership and use of firearms, including defensive uses. The purpose of the survey was to shed some light on a social scientific view of the reality of how guns are used and owned in America today, English said during a September 11th podcast produced by The Reload, a publication focused on the policies and politics surrounding firearms. Quote, and the attempt was to make it the largest survey of gun owners yet done, particularly so that we can get statistically informative information in all 50 states. Probably the last survey of this scope was done back in 1994, but it's now more than a quarter century old, English said. He also teased the findings of the survey in a May 18th summary on an academic website called Social Science Research Network, but updated the summary on September 13th to add up the $415 million figure for gun ownership. Because the U.S. Census Bureau now estimates the U.S. population to be 333 million people. The 415 million figure means that there are about 1.25 firearms for every person living in the United States. Of those 415 million firearms, Americans own about 171 million handguns, 146 million rifles, and 98 million shotguns, according to the update. About 39 million individuals, or 48% of gun owners, have owned magazines capable of holding more than 10 rounds. Some jurisdictions regulate magazine capacity. The newly released information helps put facts that English previously released from the study into a broader context. 
The study found that the United States has an overall rate of adult firearm ownership of 31.9%, which suggests that more than 81.4 million Americans age 18 and older own firearms. The average gun owner owns about five firearms, and handguns are the most common type of firearm owned, the summary states. Among gun owners, 57.8% are male and 42.2% are female. About 34.3% of whites own firearms, compared to 28.3% of Hispanics, 25.4% of blacks, and 19.4% of Asians, according to the summary. Nearly a third of gun owners, or 31.1%, reported in the survey that they have used a gun to defend themselves or their property. Often more than once, the report summary estimated that firearms are used defensively by their owners in about 1.67 million incidents each year. Handguns are used in 65.9% of defensive incidents, although in most incidents, no shot was fired. About a quarter, 25.2% of defensive incidents, took place inside the gun owner's home, and a little more than half, 53.9%, happened outside of the home but on their property. Almost 1 in 10, 9.1% of defensive gun uses took place in public, and about 1 out of 30, 3.2%, took place at work, according to the summary. The report comes out after a landmark Supreme Court ruling on June 23rd, finding for the first time that there's a constitutional right to carry firearms in public for self-defense. The court also found that gun regulations must be deeply rooted in U.S. history if there's to survive constitutional scrutiny prompting a raft of new lawsuits across the country challenging gun control measures. Applications for gun permits in states that require them to have been rising following the court decision. President Joe Biden is pushing for a federal ban on so-called assault weapons after Congress approved the new gun control measures in June, including financial incentives to encourage the enactment of state-level red flag gun confiscation laws. The research paper also comes as major credit card companies at the behest of gun control activists are implementing what critics characterize as backdoor gun control. The International Organization for Standardization recently announced that one of the one of its subcommittees had decided to create a new merchant category code for firearms, which were previously under the general merchandise category. Critics say the policy change will make it easier for governments both to track and discourage firearms Purchases that could lay groundwork for a national gun registry. Accountable to you. Is your smartphone a tool for the service of Christ or a minefield of distractions and temptations? With soul-killing seductions just a few taps away, our families and churches must embrace biblical accountability on our digital devices. Accountable to You makes transparency easy on all your family's devices by sharing app usage and detailed browsing history, including incognito mode with your spouse, parent, or chosen accountability partner. Accountable to You helps your family to proactively guard against temptation so you can live with integrity for God's glory. Learn more and try it free at accountabletoyou.com slash FLF. That's accountable, the number two, you.com slash FLF. Biden starts handing out grants to rid us of racist highways. Yes, you heard that right. Joe Biden has now officially taken his overcompensation for being an old white guy to the next level by handing out his first federal grants to dismantle our nation's racist highways. Again, that's not a typo. Rather than devoting federal resources to improving our national infrastructure, Biden is wasting millions to address the problem of racist roads. Well, 
that might make you ask, what makes a road racist? I'm just the messenger here, but according to MSNBC, so-called racist roads being targeted by Biden were designed to facilitate white flight and deprive black communities of housing and commercial opportunities. Fellow white dude Pete Buttigieg, I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm just going with it, who occasionally makes appearances pretending to be the transportation secretary, confirmed that $104.6 million in federal funds from last year's bipartisan infrastructure bill will be used to dismantle Interstate 375 in, Detro- in Detroit. This is just one interstate, $104 million. This stretch of I-375 cuts like a gash through the neighborhood, one of many examples I have seen in the communities across the country where a piece of infrastructure has become a barrier boot. Buttigieg's, yeah, whatever, told the Associated Press. With these funds, we're now partnering with the state and the community to transform it into a road that will connect rather than divide. Racism defeated. Well done. Well done, Biden men. And now this. Don Lemon, schooled by Royal by Royals expert on the topic of Britain paying reparations. British Royals exp- expert Hillary Fordwich stunned CNN anchor Don Lemon into silence with her argument that African slave owners owe reparations rather than the British Empire in a viral clip from CNN's coverage of the de- of the death of the Queen. Conservatives on Twitter found the clip hilarious as it depicted Lemon getting swift pushback for trying to promote the narrative that the British crown owes reparations for slavery. Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts, and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism, and they're wondering, you know, $100 billion, $24 billion here and there, $500 million there. Some people want to be paid back, and, uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are... You know, you have all of this vast wealth. Those are legitimate concerns. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when the slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished sla- uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages. Absolutely. That's where... They should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll continue to, to discuss in the future. So remember the impact of the supply, the supply chain crisis on the economy during... Observers noted... Lemon meekly switched topics without protest after Fordwich's unexpected response. And now... It's time for my favorite topic, sports. Fan arrested after attempting to jump into pit with Texas Longhorn mascot Bevo. What could go wrong? Few things are less advisable than jumping into a pit with a 1,500-plus-pound Texas Longhorn. But then again, mixed passionate fandom with 11 bottles of beer and ill-advised decisions will ensue. Such as was the case at the Texas UTSA game on Saturday. 
Texas won that game, by the way, 41-20. to When a fan attempted to jump into the pit with the University of Texas mascot, Bevo, the mascot's handlers tried to wave the fan off, but to no avail. Thankfully, a Texas DPS officer intervened and prevented the fan from getting himself killed. It's unclear what the fan's intentions were, but it's pretty clear that Bevo's intentions would have been what they would have been if he had felt the slightest bit threatened. Last time Bevo felt an unwelcome presence, it nearly, cla- it nearly cost Ugga, the Georgia Bulldog mascot, his life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is like a man walking on the moon. <laughs> Never before. Oh, no! oh, 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 my Lord! Oh! Bevo! <laughs> oh! Can live television get better than that? No! Maybe that was not the best idea, but we... Now, don't worry, folks. George's mascot, Ugga, the Bulldog, was just fine. And you can find the link to these videos in the show notes. But the point stands. Don't mess with Texas. This has been your Cross-Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and click that share button down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership, sign up for our conference with that club discount, and then sign up for our FLF magazine. Our Christmas edition is coming. Be ready. You can do all of that at FightLapFeast.com. And as always, if you want to email me a news story, ask about our conference, or sign up as a corporate partner for CrossPolitik, email me at Garrison at FightLapFeast.com. For CrossPolitik News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless.